Hey guys, welcome to this week's podcast. There's a lot to talk about and a lot of NES-related news, starting with the AVS from Retro USB, the FPGA-based Nintendo console that plays Nintendo and Famicom games that they're selling for under $200. I was able to do a full-page review as well as a video review of it, and overall, I really liked it. I thought for the price it was an excellent console. It only outputs 720p HDMI, but it didn't seem to be an issue for me at all. The only thing I'll add, which I think I may have gotten wrong in the video, was I said that I liked leaving the aspect ratio slider in the middle, and while it didn't cause any artifacts or shimmering, the more games I played, the more I realized it should probably be narrower. So that's really up to you guys, you know, once you get yours, just kind of mess with it. Just don't stretch it all the way to the sides of a 16 by 9 screen. That's just ridiculous when I see people do that. But um, I definitely recommend it, and the only other issue I had was a very minor audio thing that's already been fixed through a firmware update. So overall, this thing's awesome, and I definitely would recommend it. But check out the video for more info and the page on the website. And another FPGA-based Nintendo console was announced last week from Analog NT, the guys that made the all-metal or all-aluminum one for $700 a few years ago. Um, I don't know who they use for marketing, but they have to win an award because the AVS started to go out for reviews, and in the same week, all you see is the Analog NT's Mini all over Gizmodo and Engadget and all over the internet. So they, uh, whoever's their marketing guy is a genius and should be commended. But basically, it's another FPGA-based Nintendo, but it's more fully featured. It's uh, made by Kevin Horton, so Kevtris, the same guy who was on a few weeks ago. And it seems to be uh, basically the Nintendo version of his Zimba 3000, which is an FPGA-based retro console that does many machines. So um, just, I haven't talked to Kevin about it, but just looking at the specs and checking out the page, they probably hired him just to do the Nintendo section of it for him. And it has the same style of menu as the high-def NES, so all those tons of features built in and everything else. So... It looks really awesome, it looks really capable, um, but it's $450 as opposed to you know, $185 for the AVS. So if you have a 4K TV, I mean, it's not really, it might not actually be worth the extra cost. But then again, it's just, you know, it's kind of like you could buy a Toyota or you could buy a Lexus. You know, they both get you places, but Lexus is higher-end model. So, you know, if you're into that stuff, um, this is probably going to be the one for you. There's no word on if it does 5x 1080p scaling, though, and that's the thing that I think would be a, a deal-breaker for me, at least, because I love the integer-based 5x scaling and the way it looks on a 1080p TV, or even on a 4K TV, because it cuts off the same, in my opinion, perfect amount of the screen. So um, I'll try to get uh, Analog NT or Kevtris back on here at some point to talk about it, but I think it's months away before it ships. So you could pre-order it now, but I wouldn't expect it until, I guess, I would guess mid-2017. But it looks pretty neat, and I'll leave the links up for anybody that's more interested. Next, my Game Boy Advance EverDrive finally showed up. It's actually a lot bigger than I thought it would be, and it sticks out a bit when you put it in. So um, it's not too bad, and it's not so obtrusive, but, you know, I just uh, I wish it did fit a little bit better. But it works well enough. The only issue is that when you get it, you have to update the firmware and bootloader right away because of SD card compatibility. So that's kind of a pain because if you don't have an SD card that's compatible, you won't be able to update it. But um, I tried 
almost all of mine and one worked. So I was able to do the update and then get all the games on it. But it was kind of a pain uh, just because I had to try every single micro SD card I had until one finally worked. But um, I'll put a link to the one that I did end up purchasing that also worked fine without the new firmware on it. So um, if you want to get one of these and don't know what SD card to get, at least I'll leave that link for you. And then once you get that, just update the firmware and then reboot and update the bootloader just by clicking on a bootloader file. And then it'll take pretty much any micro SD card and it'll work fine. But um, I already have the Smoke Monster ROM set on here and I can't wait to start playing some of the Metroid fan hacks for Game Boy Advance games. Someone just released a Vectrix flash card with a 32-bit coprocessor in it that allows for enhanced homebrew games. Now, the Vectrix is an all-in-one arcade machine from the 80s that has vector-based graphics. So it's a CRT that, uh, that draws things a little bit different. My cousin Scott talked about his um, a while back when he was on the podcast, and it's really hard to describe without seeing it in person, but it's completely different than anything you could emulate on a flat screen or a CRT and it looks pretty unique. So the homebrew scene of the Vectrix has actually grown pretty big, all things considered, but some of the, uh, the games people have come up with are really creative, and I'm interested to see what they'll come up with with the 32-bit processor in it. Um, I don't think they're going to put, like, Star Fox on it, but I bet you they'd be able to push the limits even farther than expected. So that Vectrix that I showed, actually, I just found on eBay pretty cheap. I got a, a pretty good deal on it, but then it arrived, and I realized why I got a pretty good deal on it because it looked like it had been in a storage bin for 20 years in reeks of cat pee. So now I'm going to go wash my hands, and if anybody wants to tell me how to get cat pee out of a Vectrix, please leave that in the comments. You guys may have already seen this video floating around the internet, but somebody used a Game Boy to pilot a drone. So the Game Boy is hooked into a computer which is then running software to go out to the drone, so it's not like you're plugging a game cartridge in and doing it that way. But I thought it was pretty neat. Not exactly retro gaming news, but uh, certainly worth clicking on the video and watching 10 seconds of it. Bordy just posted a great description in the Shmups forum about his N64 Blur software. So he'd written custom software for Tim Worthington's N64 RGB board that uh, had a de-blur option. So um, to kind of summarize it, uh, Tim's going about it by saying, I want to automatically detect when the de-blur could be applied and do it that way. And Bordy's going about it by saying, let's wire another thing into the controller port so you could toggle on or off manually. Um, but it was pretty cool just to read through how he wanted to do it. And if anybody's interested, um, I'll keep everybody updated for when it's, you know, an official release. But it seems like the firmware is pretty stable now. So if you have a JTAG programmer and an N64 RGB board, you should be able to try it out on your own. Sony just announced that their PlayStation Now service is coming to PCs in Europe soon and North America shortly afterwards. So the PlayStation Now service is kind of like Netflix for PlayStation games. You could play PS3 and earlier games on your PS4, on your Vita, the PSTV, and now certain PCs. Um, and they're going to sell a $30 dongle that allows you to use the DualShock 4 controller directly on your PC. Um, so it's kind of interesting that they're doing that, and maybe it's testing the waters to see if their next-gen 
uh, console isn't a console at all. So this is something we've been talking about a bunch of times, both in the Q&A, um, in the comments, in the videos, and even on the forums, is what's really next? Is it going to be another console from Sony and Microsoft? Are they just going to drag out this iteration until PCs and smartphones catch up? It's kind of interesting to see, and um, I hope there's always dedicated consoles for a million reasons, but... Stuff like this at least shows that they're willing to test the waters and push what they could do. So I guess only time will tell what happens eventually with this stuff, but uh, hey, at least you can play PlayStation 3 games on your PC soon. Darksoft has opened up a thread on the Arcade Projects forum for an interest check for his ROM cart. So this is not a pre-order yet, but he just kind of wants to get a ballpark figure of who will definitely be ordering one so he'll know how many to get. Um, at the time of the video, it looks like there's about 160 MVS requests and about 100 AES requests. So if you seriously plan on buying one, definitely post in the thread and just let people know so he'll know how many to make. But I guess, you know, serious inquiries only is the way to put it. You know, don't, don't think, yeah, I'll just say yes just in case because, I mean, he probably has to pay for this stuff out of his own pocket. Um, and I think they're all going to be $400, which is expensive, but pretty reasonable for something, anything Neo Geo related, actually. Um, but yeah, if you're interested, definitely post in the interest check. And just remember, it's not a pre-order yet. He just wants to gauge how many people are actually going to buy one when there is a pre-order. Nintendo just announced that during the month of September, they're going to be spotlighting independent developer games. So games that were already released will get discounts, and games that are either new or not released on Nintendo platforms will get a release each week. The first release, this Thursday, September 1st, is the game Axiom Verge, and I've been dying to play that game since it was first announced, because it seems like a Super Metroid-style game, which is absolutely my favorite style. Um, and I'll definitely be picking up on Thursday, and maybe I'll even do a Let's Play video or something, just going through it and, uh, you know, kind of kind of see what it's like. But I'm pretty excited, and it's good that Nintendo's finally, after all these years, really starting to back the independent developers, because for a long time, they just didn't. So, uh, good to see that they're finally moving forward. Also, A-List Daily just posted an interview with the president of Nintendo North America, talking about what they're going to do different for the Nintendo NX launch next year, and kind of about some of the mistakes they may have made with the Wii U. So, once again, it seems like Nintendo's actually learning from their mistakes and moving forward. Um, I really would want to see Mario, Metroid, and Zelda games forever, so I hope, uh, I hope they end up making all the right decisions, and I hope they could bring these games into the next generation of gamers as well. So, uh, it's a pretty cool interview. It's, you know, very Nintendo political, you know, you can't say anything even slightly off-script, uh, but still worth reading if you're a big Nintendo fan. Now on to the Q&A stuff. Uh, just to let you guys know, though, I, I try really hard to shoot these videos on Saturday afternoons, that way, if there's anything that pops up on Sunday, I could just add it in real quick and then render and upload. Because rendering and uploading to YouTube takes forever. So if I end up rendering it and watch it and find that there was a mistake or something, I have to fix it and then re-render and then re-upload. So um, I find that doing it on Saturdays kind of works best for me. So that means if you guys post a question on Saturday night or Sunday, it's not going to get answered until the following week. So that's kind of what happened with the first question, so sorry, I'm one week behind. And now for the week-old question. Um, Borrower says that he has grainy lines going across the TV on his RGB-modded N64, and I've read a lot of people in the comments complain about something similar, 
it's really hard to diagnose something like this, you know, without seeing it myself. But my first guess would be to check the power supply. Um, if it's in a third-party power supply, I would definitely try to get an official Nintendo one and see if that fixes it. Um, and then just test each piece of the puzzle. Maybe test out somebody else's N64 power supply, bring yours set up to somebody else's house or vice versa. Um, but that's really just kind of going down the list and figuring out piece by piece which is the issue and determine is the console, is it the setup, is it the power supply. Um, but yeah, I mean, I've read a lot about that, so maybe I should open up a forum and just have one section dedicated just to these weird issues so that way we could try to all pinpoint it and kind of give our own advice on what each of us did to fix the issues. Alpha Tryon had kind of a unique question. Um, he wanted to know if he got an arcade VGA card, which is a video card that allows you to output in 240p resolution. Um, if he got one of those and put it through a FrameMeister in 720p and added scan lines, is that a good way to get a retro look out of a PC? Um, and while that's kind of cool and, and unique to think about, um, it's my opinion, so it's just an opinion, this might not be the right way, but I would actually just use a regular video card and run the native resolution of the monitor, and then either use MAME with its video options, because you could do scan lines or CRT bloom effects and things like that, or if you wanted to do like AM2R with the scan line effect, I believe there's a software you could run that actually puts a CRT effect over whatever program you're running. So you could actually run AM2R in 1440p, but have even scan lines on it that line up. Um, so that's definitely how I would do it, just because there would be less chance of lag. But if anybody already has an arcade VGA and already has a FrameMeister, maybe play with it and uh, let me know what everybody thinks, um, especially if you're using a 4K monitor um, or even a 720p monitor, I guess. Um, it would be kind of neat to see how it reacted and if it looked good enough. But me personally, I would just run the native resolution of the flat screen. Next, Ben, the creator of the Retro DC Power Supplies, wanted to chime in on the NTSC PAL debate. So he wanted to remind people that if you want one console to do both, you should make sure to get an NTSC console, then mod that to play PAL games as well, and not a PAL console with an NTSC switch. Um, and he says that the problem with that is you can't really get a 100% NTSC signal from PAL consoles even after modding unless you completely replace the clock crystal. Um, this is because the actual multiplier won't quite be 60 hertz, but it'll be 59 hertz. And he said you won't really notice it until you use something like the FrameMeister with scan lines, which will be messed up, because it'll interpret the signal as 241p, not 240p. So that means at least one of the scan lines will be doubled. So he posted a link to a great discussion about it, um, and he said that the issue is mostly noticeable on Sony consoles, but if anybody knows of it happening on others, uh, maybe chime in and let them know. But I thought that was a great piece of info, and once again, I have such limited access to PAL stuff, um, and for me to go buy it, I would have to import it from overseas. So anytime anybody could chime in and help with PAL stuff, I would really appreciate it, because I just I don't have the means to test any of it. And info like this is really awesome and good to know. So thanks, Ben. Next, Telefission asked about using RGB-enabled consoles on VGA monitors that have BNC inputs. So this is actually a question I get quite often, and there are actually a lot of VGA monitors out there that have BNC inputs, which kind of look like the ones that are on the back of an RGB monitor. Um, but that doesn't necessarily mean that they would be compatible with RGB. 
So you would need to check if the monitor could accept a 15 kilohertz refresh rate. If so, then yeah, give it a try, um, but most will not. So that leaves you two choices. You could either get an RGB to VGA converter, so the resolution stays the same, but the refresh rate's updated, um, which would work. They're kind of expensive. I think they're about $90, but um, that would allow you to play games on it, but the scan lines aren't going to line up. Um, the other thing would be if you just got a basic line doubler, which would make a 480p VGA output of it. Um, that would work too, but same thing, the scan lines wouldn't look the same. Uh, but the other part of the question was, what's the difference in quality between that and a PVM or BVM? And that's the same old explanation of, even if you have a really, really nice VGA monitor, who's probably at most 1400 bucks for your average pro units, um, the ones that a lot of my friends back in the day used to use for Photoshop and stuff like that, um, but that's still a $1,400 monitor, and the PVMs were thousands, and the BVMs were in the tens of thousands. So it's probably not going to be as good quality. It'll be better than a consumer-grade CRT, but not as good as a PVM or a BVM. So unless you play a lot of 480p games, it would be my suggestion just to try to find an RGB monitor. But if the scenario is that you play mostly GameCube, PS2, the Wii, um, yeah, definitely use a VGA monitor and then just use a line doubler for the older consoles. That would be a great solution. But if your focus is mainly Nintendo, Genesis, Super Nintendo, then I would stick with an actual RGB monitor. Chad Kruger asked about streaming and scan lines. So he wants to use his FrameMeister to play on his flat screen with scan lines, but at the same time, stream a signal without scan lines because they don't really line up in, uh, on recorded video unless whatever monitor you're watching the stream on is in the same exact resolution that the stream was in. Um, and there's even issues with that too. So it is better to stream without scan lines. Um, and there's no way to do that directly through a FrameMeister, at least that I know. But one thing that you could do is split the signal to two devices. So for example, if you already own a GSCART switch, you could take one of the outputs and go into the FrameMeister and the second output and go into one of those cheap, crappy SCART to HDMI converters. Now, I hate those for gaming. They treat the 240p signal as 480i. There's four or five frames of lag. But none of that would matter, in my opinion, for streaming, um, unless you're doing like comparison tests or something. But to split the signal beforehand, you have your low lag frame meister the way you like to watch it, but then you just have another 1080p or 720p signal going out. Um, I think that'd be a great solution, and those boxes only cost about 40 bucks. Um, so if anybody else has any other ideas, please chime in, but that would be how I did it. Next is a really good question from my buddy Kenji. He was asking with the AVS and the Analog NT Mini coming out, or even the, the Nintendo Classic that, that's coming out in November, what's the best way to play these on a PVM or a BVM? Um, and I understand the need for that because, you know, most people wouldn't want two consoles. They would want one that does both HDMI and RGB, which I believe the uh, Analog NT Mini will. But to stick with the question, um, the Analog NT Mini and the NES Mini from Nintendo, as long as they actually output 480p, you should be able to put those through either an Xtron Emotia or a Mimo Genius 2 box or a few of the other downscalers that Fuda has listed on his site, which I'll put a link to that in the description. And those could actually go directly from 480p to 240p, 
with no lag. So you would be able to actually have a true 240p look on an RGB monitor with one of these newer HDMI consoles. So I thought that was pretty cool. Um, you could also just play them in 480p if your monitor is compatible with that, but you won't get the same exact scanline look as 240p. The only, uh, the only weird one would be the AVS, because that only outputs 720p widescreen. So I have a widescreen BVM that uh, accepts 720p, and it looked perfect on it. The scan lines didn't look like 240p, but it still looked like an awesome solution, and, you know, zero lag, CRT, um, and that worked great through HD, SDI, component, and VGA. So pretty much any way you can get it into a widescreen CRT like that would be great. Um, the only issue with the AVS is if you had a 4x3 monitor because it outputs a 16 by 9 signal, you would actually end up with black bars on all sides. So that's the only reason why the AVS wouldn't be the best choice for a CRT. But I hope that answers the uh, questions about the other one. And uh, Dan Mons actually asked pretty much the same question. So, um, but he also asked, there are plenty of cheap line doublers, but are there cheap line havers? Uh, and not that I know of. I'm pretty sure the ma two main ones people use are the ones I had mentioned, the Mimo Genius 2 and the Emotia. Um, and I have a page on the site for the Emotia as well. But uh, I would really like to see this. I would love to see the community make something like this. Or if even the open source scan converter could be switched into a downscaling mode or something. I think that would be really awesome. So um, hopefully somebody in the community will come up with a better solution for it. But right now, I think it's mainly just those. And lastly, Tofu Man and Nathan Chowning both chimed in a little bit more about the RetroBright solution, um, and they kind of posted their thoughts on it, that basically um, some of the cream that you use could leave streaks, um, and they posted a few other recipes. So I'll be trying these out eventually, I just need to find a yellowed console to do it on that I would actually want to purchase. So um, I'll talk to my buddy Justin, the Goodwill Hunter, he always, always finds me stuff, so um, I'm sure he'll stumble across one for a dollar somewhere, and uh, soon as I try it, I'll definitely do a video about it though, but uh, thanks again for all the info. Okay, up next we have an interview with Brian Parker from RetroUSB.com, the creator of the AVS. Um, it was really great to have him on. He's kind of a hard guy to get a hold of, so uh, it's now 7 p.m. on Sunday, the night before that this interview is going to air, and I just finished the interview, and I'm going to get it all rendered and, and put up on YouTube, so really glad he made it um, last minute because I know he's a busy guy, and I really wanted him on to talk about his product and about the other things that he's done over the years. So um, I thought it was a cool interview, and I hope you guys enjoy it too, and I'll see you next week. Hey guys, I'm here with Brian from RetroUSB.com. What's up, man? Nothing much. So I'm glad I get to talk to you. I've been uh, using your products for a long time. I think the first one I actually bought was the uh, Nintendo to GameCube adapter that you had on there. Yep. So um, I guess your site's been around for longer than mine, too. Um, how did you get started, and what kind of got you into making these things? Uh, so I got started in about 2003 when one of my friends said he wanted to use a original Nintendo controller to play emulators on his computer. And at that time, there weren't all these USB devices there are now, so that was the first thing I made. And that was actually a Christmas present to him. Oh, that's pretty cool. You still have those for sale on there, don't you? Yes, I still do. Ah, very cool. And that's been way too many years ago. <laughs> so the uh, the other thing that uh, kind of made you pretty famous in the retro gaming community was the Power Pack, of course. Yep. Um, that must have been a huge undertaking at first to, to kind of go about doing. Where did that one start out? 
that was that same friend saying that he wanted to play all the games he's playing on his computer on his original Nintendo. That's one lucky friend. <laughs> yeah, but that one took a little bit longer to make. That was about a year and a half in development. So um, I think I was first introduced to that pretty quickly uh, once getting back into the retro gaming scene, and I, I thought it was absolutely awesome. And all the mappers that worked with it, and I think people were also kind of helping out and donating their own work for it. But then um, you kind of stopped for a while. Are you not making those anymore, or is there still a Power Pack 2 in the works sometime, at some point? Or? Uh, the second version has been in the works for three or four years now, mm -hmm. and I still have no idea when I'm going to work on that again. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. hobby projects usually um, usually take up too much time as it is. Is this, uh, is this what you do? Do you have a second job? Is this your second job? Is this... No. When I got out of college, I had studied supercomputer architecture, and that's when all the supercomputer companies were dying, so I never got a job. <laughs> oh, jeez. Hey, well, you know what, though? This is, um, you know, you make a lot of great stuff, so I'm glad this is able to do it for you. Yep. Um, so then um, I'm trying to think of all the other products on your site. I got the little... Uh, the little USB stick that's shaped like a Nintendo controller. That's freaking awesome. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so um, the uh, you also had the controller adapter for SNES to GameCube, which was pretty awesome as well. I really enjoyed using that to play like Zero Mission on the Game Boy Player. Uh, uh, but that's one of the discontinued products as well. Is that something that you're going to get back into at some point, or are you just uh, kind of leaving that up to others? Those ones, they have minimum number to get the manufacturing going and it would take me a decade to sell that minimum. So that's gotcha. pretty much done. Huh. You know, it's too bad. It's a lot of these hobby projects. Like, uh, I've been working with Janati and the G-Scart Switch. Well, not working with, kind of just tagging along and helping where I can. But, mm -hmm. you know, the his whole model is now that he's taking pre-orders, and then, you know, as soon as he has enough to put an order in, he's shutting down pre-orders and then processing that and starting over. And it would be nice to kind of keep it open forever, but then you have to deal with PayPal's return policies. If something happens, you don't get enough orders, and then you lose all that money because then you have to send people money back so you pay the fees. So I wish there was a better way to structure it so people who have stuff that doesn't, you know, it's not something that they could guarantee right away, but everybody would just chip in and say, yeah, I could use one of those eventually. Let me just throw in my 20 bucks, and if it takes a year, it takes a year, but... I don't yeah, think it's anything structured like that. It needs to be like a long-term Kickstarter where the campaign lasts for six months or a year. Yeah. 30 days. Huh. You know, I got a couple of web smart friends. I'll pass them that idea and yeah, <laughs> see what they think about it. <laughs> wonder if that'll take off. But, um, so, uh, obviously, the, the big one, the big one that I wanted to talk to you about now, the AVS, of course. Um, ah, I have been playing <laughs> this thing since I received it, um, and I love it. And... You know, I've kind of become a jaded old man with these things because I have four Nintendos and I've tested every yep. single solution out there. And it's almost by default. I always try to find what's wrong with it. Yep. It's not because I'm a pessimist. I really am just a jolly <laughs> dude. But, like, it's kind of part of what you have to do when you review these things. Right. And there's really nothing to complain about so far. I mean, you know, for the price, you know, if it was a 1000 bucks, I would want a million other things in it. But oh. 185 it's like... Things been performing really great, and there hasn't been any major showstoppers, but there's mm -hmm. certainly a bunch of questions I had that other people have been emailing me. Because it's funny, I think a lot of people assume that I'm just talking to all you guys on a daily basis, all the developers. <laughs> I really don't, so it's. Uh, you should. <laughs> yeah, I would like to. I just don't want to bug everybody. <laughs> so if you don't mind, I just kind of want to fire off a bunch of questions. I'm sure some of them you've answered a million times already, so I'm sorry about that. But that's fine. 
So the 720p only output, um, was that just simply a way to cut down costs of the processor or was there really any other limitations to that? That was mostly, that's the fastest that the FPGA can go. Mm -hmm. So if I want 1080p, then I need an external chip and that adds cost. Gotcha. And the FPGA needs more pins to talk to that chip and that adds cost. And then your circuit board needs to be four layers, so that adds cost. A lot of cost. <laughs> yeah. Run. And this just keep adding up. Yeah. And I figured from the start that I wanted this not to be a super expensive machine because at the time things like the arcade PPUs were being used and those were a few hundred dollars. Yeah. And I didn't want something that much. Yeah, it's kind of funny because I think people who are just getting into it now don't realize that it was just a few years ago that you need to play choice 10 PPU in order to do just an RGB mod. So right. if you can't do it yourself, you're looking 500 bucks by the time you pay for shipping back and forth, the console, everything else. So, right. it, you know, it's pretty, uh, it's a lot of cost goes into these things and I think people don't seem to realize right away. Yeah. Um, one question that I was really surprised to get a lot that I didn't even think of until afterwards was would there be any chance of supporting a 4x3 480p mode? Um, I could add that pretty easily, but I don't think that's something that, that many people can use. That's not what I thought. Or that's what I thought either, but a lot of people had looked at it from the point of view of, hey, I have a really great CRT with, you know, that supports 480p. Um, why don't I just buy this and use an HDMI to component adapter, and that way I have RGB and... VGA, or if they do, a, or a HDMI, or if they do the VGA adapter and they use one of those downscalers, then they really would get 240p. So I didn't even, I never thought of it until people started emailing me and commenting on the review video, but that's, uh, I guess that's something that a bunch of people have been asking about. Yeah, that's actually my original version of this, was an add-on board for the original Nintendo, kind of like the high-def mod, and mm -hmm. that one actually was a 480p board. It was still widescreen, but doing it 4 to 3 is pretty easy. Gotcha. So that's a pretty basic thing to add in. Hmm. Going slower is always easier. Faster is the problem. <laughs> yeah, that's what I thought. Um, the, the 720p output was great, and I, I'm lucky that my uh, main TV is a Panasonic Plasma that's very forgiving on a lot of these things, so mm -hmm. it upscales it very well. The scan lines don't line up right um, perfectly, but I tested it on a 4K TV, and they do. Um, and the My Life and Gaming guys still have some of my video processors, so as soon as I get those back, I'd actually like to see how it performs through one of those DVDO upscalers, so you could do the, you know, zooming and see if uh, the scan lines would still line up going in 1080p through that, but I just, yeah. I thought it was pretty cool, especially because 4K TVs are more common and cheaper than 1080p now. Yeah, so, I just got my first one a couple of days ago, and it looks amazing. Yeah, the Samsung you posted about, right? Yep, that's right. Yeah, so you had posted, um, you know, sorry to jump around on the questions, but you'd posted about the uh, the lag on that. How were you able to test the lag? Did you just split it to a CRT and use a DSLR? Do you have a program you wrote or something? So first I have somewhere out here, the controller with an LED on it. Ah. When I'm pushing a button and the Nintendo is requesting the buttons, then that LED turns on. And then I have, somewhere else around here, a high-speed camera runs at 480 frames per second. Oh, so wow, that's cool. It, yeah, so I can see the LED comes on, 
and then I time until sprites disappear in balloon fight, which I know is a set amount of time. That's so pretty I, cool. So I measure that on a CRT, and it's about 14 milliseconds, and then I measure it on all these different LCDs, and they're usually around the 30 millisecond range. And on, um, so have you tested uh, the AVS on a CRT versus an original Nintendo on a CRT to see if they, they both come close to that 14 I seconds? I don't or? have any of the HDMI to composite things, so. Uh, I got a stack of them, man. All these, I have so much crap back here, I'll just send you one <laughs> next time I get a chance. Yeah, they're probably like 10 bucks now, so I should really pick one up. Yeah, and they actually work remarkably well, all things considered. I remember, you know, early 2000s, these devices were 250 bucks, and there would occasionally be noise issues with them. And I think the one I got from uh, Amazon was 30, and it's just perfect. So yeah. it's kind of funny how the technology changes like that. Yeah, so that'll be the next thing I'll have to pick up. Yeah, well, that's cool, though. And that's um, so uh, I saw the, the lag testing on that um, for the different TVs and everything, and um, it looked like... Uh, you didn't have any issues with uh, scaling at different resolutions. So I know there was a debate on one of the forums the other day about how somebody said it's a myth that some TVs scale 720p you know, not as well as 1080 and you'll get more lag than the other. I've actually seen that before. I don't think that's a myth unless I did something wrong in my testing. But um, so it's <laughs> Well, a, I mean, it really depends on what TV you get. Some of them, like my Sharp Aquas, which was an amazingly expensive TV, it upscales incredibly slow hmm. even with game mode on and then you know i have a really cheap hands free and it upscales very fast yeah so, it's it's funny you know, how sometimes the expensive ones don't do uh the game stuff as well you know yeah but like for the samsung's that i just tested the 4000 series was a 720 screen and it was almost exactly the same time as the 1080 screen the 5000 series see that so that's really awesome difference. All right, that's good. That means that most people probably won't have to worry about that. I'm still planning on going in and trying to do some kind of ridiculous test of TVs in a Best Buy. I just need to get my plan kind of locked down because I um, I just I went in there the other day, kind of scoping it out, like you know somebody casing the joint, and uh, it, they had like a hundred and something TVs there. So I got to go back and figure out which ones would be the best, you know, to test. And then I'm just going to go in with a team of my friends and see if I could figure out with uh, just the CRT splitting, which are which actually have low lag on them. So, mm -hmm. but that's something that you know I think all gamers would probably want to know at this point. So, but. right. Um, a couple other of the options that I was looking through on, uh, so the the extra sprite option, that one really intrigued me. Was there um, games that you knew off the top of your head would benefit from that, and others that you knew wouldn't work with the feature being on? The one I was hoping most for was Super Dodgeball, because that's one that I play lots, and that has Flickr everywhere. But that actually doesn't help, because the programmers did it so poorly that Ugh. more sprites doesn't help. They're hiding them anyways. Oh, man. So and there are a couple cases where the game is using those extra sprites, or it's using the fact that you can only show eight to hide ones further along down the scan line. So if you turn the sprites mode on, then you'll end up seeing them, and that's not what you're supposed to do. Do you remember a couple of games that have that feature? I'd have to look it up. I don't remember what specific ones there are. Gotcha. I think I'd probably played, I don't know, maybe 20 different games on it just for, you know, some longer periods of time than others. And I just, uh, I always left the sprite option on, and I, I didn't see one that didn't work yet. So. Yeah. 
Uh, most things where you have like horizontal movement, like a lot of enemies in a row, mm. Castlevania type things, then that's where you'll really notice a difference. Gotcha. Um, I was also kind of hoping maybe that would help that, you know that flicker in Super Mario Brothers 3 that's right above the little toolbar on the bottom? They, I get so many emails about that. Like, oh, I just uh, <laughs> RGB modded my Nintendo and I still get this flicker. It's, no, that's yep. just the game. That's No. Yeah. <laughs> that's not anything to do with sprites. <laughs> Um, the other feature that uh, I don't think there's a ton of info out there yet is the scoreboard. So I think this is something that people who have been on the Nintendo Age forums for a while are kind of familiar with, but most other people aren't. Um, would you be able to give us kind of like a rundown of how that works? And you know? The basic idea is you hook your AVS up to your computer through the USB port, and the computer is running software that talks to Nintendo Age servers. So you play your game. And then when you get your high score, you go back to the AVS menus and you say, submit my score. The software on the computer downloads your game to make sure there's no codes or hacks in it. And then it transmits the score to Nintendo Age. And Nintendo Age sends back the high score list, who's been playing recently, who your friends are, all that kind of stuff. Gotcha. So if I'm playing like Tetris, for example, I'm sure that's got to be one of them on there. Yeah. Um, and I get a pretty good high score. Um, then I use the button commands to go back to the menu. Um, so don't hit the power button. And then go right. straight into scoreboard and hit submit. And then power off the console, bring it over to my computer and plug it in? No, it's got to be running. The computer software has to be running while you're playing. Because it's doing additional checks while you're playing. Gotcha, gotcha. Okay. Sure, like it has a game timer. So if you played for five seconds and you got a high score, it knows you cheated. Right. Okay. And because it could be powered by the uh, low-powered USB port, you could actually power it with the computer while you're up and running and doing this then. Yep. All right. That so makes a like, lot of sense. So, like, usually I just have my laptop sitting next to the AVS when I'm doing that. Um, one thing we might try to do is make it run on a Raspberry Pi. So oh, you just have that sitting there. Yeah, I didn't even think of that. Those things are so handy. <laughs> that would probably yeah. be a great program to run on it. So. Yep. Um. So then, um, so, oh God, I just lost my train of thought. I'm sorry. <laughs> so when, uh, when you're running the scoreboard app through that, then, um, does that work the same with like a power pack and an EverDrive or would you have to use the original cart? It works the same because once it dumps the cart, it looks like an original cart. Gotcha. So is that how it's working where when you plug your cart in, does it dump the ROM and run it off of the chip and not off of the actual, uh, cartridge itself? It dumps the ROM when you submit the score. So it's dumping it from the AVS to your computer just to make sure that it's actually the correct ROM. Gotcha. Now, is that something that uh, you'd be able to add a feature just to actually dump the ROM of the cart that's in there? Yes, but it's not very user-friendly because there's hundreds of mappers. You need right. to choose which mapper you want to dump the cart. Gotcha. So there'd have to be a little bit of know-how. I don't yeah. really, I can't imagine too many scenarios these days where that would be something that I would want to do because, you know, there's all those awesome ROM packs out there that have everything, but it's just, uh, I think when I still had a Retron 5, I used it once and was thrilled because I needed to get something that I didn't have. Yeah. So it was kind of, all right, that's, that's cool though. I mean, it's, um, so, uh, somebody asked another question about kind of on the same vein, um, because it boots to a menu, can you remove cartridges while it's powered on? 
Yes, but it'll probably crash the whole thing because you're messing with the buses as it's running. Gotcha. I mean, I would always say, no, don't do that. (laughs) But You (laughs) You could pull out the cart, put in another one, and hit the reset button, and then it would go to the cart that you put in. Gotcha. But I don't know how that's useful. Yeah, neither do I, but (laughs) that was something somebody asked that I kind of wanted to uh, go through that as well. Yeah. Um, and other so the the audio upgrade. Well, I, I'm probably wording this wrong. So the the firmware that was on there when I got the review unit, um, then I updated the firmware with the one that you sent me just a few days after, and I had this weird audio issue that's gone. It's perfect now. Was that changing the audio frequency, or was you know, what was behind that? That was the time between audio samples was slightly wrong in my HDMI implementation. Okay. So. Most TVs had no problem with it being, you know, one scan line. Sometimes it was one scan line too late, mm-hmm. but Samsung doesn't like that. Panasonic and, either. So. All right, Panasonic either. <laughs> yeah, because it was driving me nuts because I knew I heard it, and then I would go in and plug it into my capture card, and it wouldn't come up in the recording. So I'd have to go back and forth and see, and I even tried, like, recording it with my iPhone just sitting next to it to see it and just went, you know what, let me just wait. I bet you that's a quick firmware update, and it was. So. Yeah. <laughs> Yep. Um, and is it still running at 44 kilohertz, or is this one at 48? Uh, it's at 48 now. Okay. There were some sounds that just didn't sound right at 44, and I think most hardware now is doing 48 native, so cool. that's what it is. And that well, really shows how easy it is to change. You know, I can go up 96 or 128 later. Yeah, that is pretty cool. Because. <laughs> yeah. You know, it's when I got into recording music uh, when we did the album last year. It was um, I didn't really understand a lot of the reasons behind that until I started to research it. And one of the things we did at the album in 24-bit 96K because it actually used less CPU usage because of the way the music cycles work. So it would have to process more processing power to do it at the lower frequency. It's kind of weird how when you start to get into sound frequencies, how it kind of changes everything around it without changing the sound. So yeah. But, um. So um. The expansion port in the back. So for people who have never messed with a Famicom before, I can't even, yeah, it's, um, I, uh, I never even knew about this until maybe five years ago, because obviously in North America, we didn't have any of this stuff. And I guess there was like a keyboard and, um, a couple other weird peripherals that weren't very used very often. That's how they used the zapper and then the 3d glasses, which I was always fascinated with those. I remember getting space Harrier 3d for a master system when I was a kid and just thought it was the coolest thing on the planet. Um, When I hooked that up to my um, uh, Sony BVM monitor, the 3D glasses seemed to still work. Uh, I had to mess with the the width of the um, screen a little bit, but for the most part, it actually kind of looked good. Um, Did you test that at all? Did you do that on purpose, or did it kind of just work after you put it all together? Well, the hardware is all going to work, but the problem is between the screen and the glasses. So if you're using... Most of the LCDs I looked at, there's too much, I think it's persistence of vision. So you're getting both frames at the same time, mm-hmm. instead of one after another. So the glasses don't quite line up. Um, I never tried it with the CRT. Yeah, it's because I did try it with the LCD and it did look a little weird. And I, I never got it to work with an LCD with the Master System glasses either, or, you know, Nest with an RGB mod or anything. But it did kind of work on the BVM, so it's yeah. uh, that was pretty neat. There's probably something you can delay 
when the signal goes to the glasses to make it line up with the CRT better. Hmm. And at one point I had that in the firmware, but because it didn't work on LCDs, I took that out. Yeah, one less thing to worry about. Yeah. Um, no light gun support, though. I kind of knew it because it relies on that 15 kilohertz refresh rate, but I wanted to try anyway. And then I forgot to put it in my review video, so I think my life in gaming is showing that uh, when they do theirs. But um, no way to do that at all without uh, changing and making a different zapper. You need an entirely new gun that doesn't rely on the TV at all. Yeah. The... Um, uh, there is one guy designing that now. There's a little adapter for it. Um, the I'm, I'm, wow, I'm forgetting, which is embarrassing because I just had him on the podcast. But oh, the the Bliss Box creator, Sean Green, uh, uh -huh. he was making one of those. So as soon as that comes out, I'll definitely do a video and let everybody know if it works on it. But I mean, some of those light gun games, if you really just want to kill 15 minutes, what a fun way to do it. Just start shooting ducks or something, and you know. Yeah. So hopefully that'll like shooting that'll... cans mode in. Yep. Valley. Yep. 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 Yeah. Yeah. The, the cans one. Cause that's. I don't know why that's so mesmerizing, but it totally just is. Just so you yeah. know, don't let him hit the ground and just keep shooting over and over. <laughs> but, um. So any other features for this that are planned in the future releases? Because it seems pretty, you know, pretty awesome as is. I can't think of anything, except um, adding more games to scoreboard. Right now, there's 200 to 250 in there, mm -hmm. and that covers most of the games that actually have a score in them, but there's still a lot of homebrews to add. So for people who wrote homebrews like that, do they just submit that stuff through Nintendo Age to their scoreboard system? Um, pretty much, if I have a ROM of the game, then I can figure it out from there. So even if I have a cart of the game, then I can dump the ROM and figure out where they store the score and everything like that. Gotcha. And some of your AVS release day games, do those are those scoreboard compatible too? Yep. So you want to talk a little bit about those? Are those games you designed or that um, other people work on? Most of those are the 8-bit Christmas carts that I added more levels to or more features. So I don't think a lot of people actually knew about those unless they were part of Nintendo Age and kind of saw that transpire. Where, where did that start, and you want to kind of talk a little bit about what those are? That started in 2008 when I had a Christmas demo that somebody else had written, which was just snow falling down and piles up on the screen. And then I put it on a board with LEDs that look like Christmas lights, so they <laughs> would blink randomly. And that was the whole thing, and I sold about 50 of those. And then the next year, I actually wrote a game for it and kept the same Christmas lights. And it's just continued like that. Every year I do a cart, and it's only sold from about November till January 1st. Hmm, that's pretty cool. And then this year is pinball, mm -hmm. and it looks like a Christmas pinball set. <laughs> that's pretty awesome. So, uh, And those are... Um... Uh, are the launch titles going to be limited availability, or are those uh, going to be just leaving them up there for whoever wants to buy them? I will make those as long as people buy them. Cool. Yeah, I was. Um, 
I really loved the clear Nintendo style um, sleeve that it came in. Like there was so much little attention to detail. Like everything from you know the the bottom of the AVS that kind of looks just like the same contours as the original Nintendo. And then yep. you know when you got the the launch game, the sleeve. And then did you are those three D printed Nintendo carts or are they donor carts or anything like that? Those are all injection molded. Oh. Jeez. So I'm, I'm assuming you did use this probably the same place that you would for the AVS, right? Uh, it's actually a different place, but same process and materials. Yeah, that's um. I think a lot of people don't seem to realize what goes into that. I uh, I worked for a company that made all-in-one computers, and it was three plat- main plastic pieces and then a few little ones on the inside. And I think we spent 250 grand and for the tools for them, uh, you know, just for the four pieces or something. Yeah, it's a lot of money, but at least you get you know yeah. you do get a lot of runs out of them though. So yeah, I doubt you'll wear those if you if you wear those tools out, you'll be making so much money it won't matter. So yeah, I won't care about buying new tools. <laughs> <laughs> right, right. Um, so the the other um, I guess a few of the other things that I'd seen on it. Um, so when you're looking at the ports, you know, port one, port two is right next to it. Mm-hmm. And then three, four for the four-player. Um, when I plugged the zapper in, which obviously, you know, it didn't work, but it only registered in number four, are there peripherals out there that might only work in a certain port like that? If you have the four-score turned on, then it'll matter which one you put in. Okay. If you turn the four-score off, then ports one and two should work as one and two, and three and four won't do anything. Gotcha. So some of the things that you had said for the when the configuration menu to use American peripherals as if they were the Japanese ones, mm-hmm. um, what were some of those things out there? Because I know the Arkanoid spinner, the actual Japanese one, doesn't that sell for like a hundred bucks up on eBay now? It's pretty ridiculous. Yeah, and it's black. It looks so much better than the one we got. <laughs> yeah, but the one we got isn't as expensive, I believe, right? Right. So, so um, all you'd have to do is just use that button combination, and you'd be able to to play it on those. Right, use the USA one on the Japanese Arkanoid two, and what was the other one? The other one was the four player adapter because Japanese had a different different way of connecting everything. Right, right. Uh, and so the only peripherals that wouldn't work would be the light gun, Rob the robot, and then 3D glasses on LCDs, not on the other ones. Right, right. and those are all because of the TV itself, not because of the console. Not the AVS. Yeah. Um. So. Some of the digging deep into some of the other tech stuff of it, um, I did the quick sound demo, and the sound was really great. Um, how are you handling the, both the sound and the expansion audio sounds, which most people, you know, the emulation isn't, you know, isn't accurate at all for it? Yeah, all the expansion audio from the cards actually goes through analog to digital converter, and then it goes into the FPGA where it gets mixed and sent out of HDMI. So you're actually using the analog chip audio from the carts, which is why it's so accurate. Right. Ah, gotcha. And what about for just regular Nintendo carts, the two channels that go through? Um, I know there's more than, I think there's three channels, but it's only two outputs. Is that analog to digital or are those processed? That's all, that's all inside the FPGA. That never gets to analog. Gotcha. Okay. Um, and the aspect ratio slider screen, that was one, uh, I think I got that wrong in my review. I left it in the middle, and then after I started to play a few more games, I realized it was a little wider than the way it looked on a CRT. Is there, like, a recommended setting for, you know, for people who want that normal look, or is it just whatever? Use what you think looks best. I actually like it 
So my CRT displays things wider than the ideal spec says to. Mm -hmm. And then on an LCD, I like it even a little bit wider than that. So I'm not close to the whatever 1.2 correct ratio. I'm at 1.4 or 5. Gotcha. It's just what I think looks best. So I, I definitely... I probably played five or six games with it in the middle, and then I think it was Super Mario 3 that I went, eh, it feels a little too wide, and then another game, you know, I wanted to change it, so it's cool that you have the option. Um, is there any any possibility of having a game suspend mode, so you can go into the menu and come back, or, or even just, you know, maybe not so much a save state, but just kind of leave the game where it is, so you can go change some of the options and come back? I might be able to do that in the future. That mostly depends on how much RAM I have inside the FPGA. Gotcha. So, we'll see. Yeah, well, I mean, you know, this is all nitpicking and wishful thinking. You know, right. I said I, I like the thing, but, um, you know, it, once you start using something more and more, it's not that you have complaints. It's that people have, like, oh, this is awesome. I wonder if. So, you know, it's uh, I'm sure you're getting a lot of that, but, I'm po you know, it's all positive feedback. It's not, you know, no, I'm... I haven't heard anybody reasonably bitch about this thing yet. <laughs> um, I'm sure someone will. <laughs> somebody somewhere. But the, um, the one thing I vaguely remember on the forums, did you say that these were actual new old stock of original Nintendo buttons? Yep, so I found a place that had the thousands of them in their original packaging. That is pretty cool. Is there it, any other uh, little tidbit? What was that? Is there any other little neat tidbit like that? Is like the controller port's original or a tab on the inside or something like that? But no, no that that's still really cool though. I mean, because it's it's very noticeable because the the weird font that they use to print the power and reset, you know, that's um, you know, that's it's very strikingly noticeable that it's definitely a Nintendo yeah. button. So you can also see that the reset button isn't quite centered; it's off to the side a little bit. Yeah, just like the original. <laughs> ah, so when it. I have my own made, if I sell enough of these, then I'll get ones that look like that, but they won't quite be original. That's awesome. Maybe I'll center that reset text. <laughs> so, um, you know, I, I'd hate to even mention this, but it was kind of, uh, I think it was strategically planned that your review units came out, and then within a day, Analog NT started sending out their press releases to everybody. Mm -hmm. um, you know, the, the businessman in me says, oh, that's a smart move, but the retro nerd in me went, well, what a dick move that was. <laughs> like, I know, we're, you know, Kevin's a, a nice guy. I had him on. I, I really like him. And, you know, yep. but, uh, Chris from Analog NT, I've exchanged emails. He seems nice enough, but it's, uh, any, any opinions on that or it just doesn't bother you? I mean, he's got to do it sometime, so he may as well do it when he can get the most coverage. Yeah, yep. I put uh, a couple of emails into Gizmodo and Gadget, but I'm pretty sure that they ignore everybody except, you know, it's just like the music business. Unless you know somebody in there, you just get ignored anyway. So that's why yeah. all those marketing people that people hire. A friend of mine's band just spent $500 a month to hire a publicist who does nothing other than call the people that she's been friends with for a long time and just get it, get them in for everything. So that's, yeah. it's all just she already has friends, so people hand her a stack of cash to do basically nothing and it's a, a, a good marketing contacts i guess go a long way yeah advertising is definitely my weak point i'm just not the type of person who's going to spam out contacts to everybody yeah so 
Oh, well. <laughs> well, there's certainly enough uh, YouTube videos about this now. There's probably, you know, if you put them all together, well over 100,000 views combined for all the people who have done videos on it. You know, my the my page immediately blew up the day I put up the review. So it was uh, people obviously have a lot of interest in this thing. So yep. overall, I mean, I still rate it the best out-of-the-box solution people can get right now. You know, it's under 200 bucks. It just works. Like, there's... You know, maybe you might want some of the, the fancier features of uh, Captris's one. But at that point, you know, there's many other options that might work better for other people, you know? Yeah. There is still the scenario where an RGB modded Nintendo and a Famicom might work better for some people. But now we're talking six, $700 after you're all said and done buying all the components. So totally different price point. And all my homebrews still run on those too, so... Yeah, there you go. <laughs> people are playing the games. I don't really care. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, so, uh, what's next? Anything else on the horizon? Anything else for this? Like, uh, you know, what should people look out for? Next is my wireless controllers. Oh, awesome. Almost entering manufacturing, so it's still a few months away, but this is a mostly finished sample of it. So, will this work, um, uh, with a, a special dongle, or is there already a wire? Ah, gotcha. So, it'll work with any Nest, then, at all. That's very cool. I like how it's shaped like the um, uh, Nest Max controller, but with a... Yeah, it's like a Max, but correct size for adults' hands. I don't think I have any original controllers around here, but the button layout is the original. It's got adjustable turbo for A and the B buttons. Very cool. Sort of like the advantage where you can set the rate that you want separate for each button. And is that a Bluetooth-based thing? It's just a plain RF because Bluetooth is too laggy for me. Yeah, I was kind of wondering about that. So uh, I think Mark from My Life in Gaming tried to do a slow motion test to test the 8-bit do controllers versus an original, and he said it's less than one frame of lag, but yeah, <laughs> yeah. I like their controllers, but, you know, it, everything adds up. So my TV is about two and a half frames of lag. You know, it, if then you add another frame on top of that, and it's just, especially if you have a laggy TV or if you're using it, you know, with an upscaler that's, you know, like through a frame meister, that's another frame and a half of lag. So these things really add up. I try to remove as much of that as possible from the chain, you know? Yeah, the problem also with Bluetooth is it's lossless. So if it loses a packet, it goes back and retransmits that packet, which means you're lagged even more. Mm. So it just keeps adding up. Hmm. That's why on these 8 ones, you get periods where it'll suddenly be very bad, and then it's suddenly better again. That's probably it's missed a packet transmission again. Yeah. Yeah, so I on, noticed that happen with the right arrow on the D-pad a couple of times, which is literally the most used button on a controller. <laughs> <laughs> so it's it kind of freaked me out because I'm going, well, what's going on? And I updated the firmware, and it, it barely did it after that. But, it, you know, the, their launch firmware is always – you can tell they want to get it out of the factory and into people's hands first, which I kind of have mixed feelings about that. I'd rather have a product be announced and shipped and then just have to hook it up to a computer for two minutes to do it than, you know, have something be delayed time after time again. So, yep. Hmm. Oh, all right, man. Oh, well, price point. Price point on that controller. Um, probably around 60 bucks for the controller and receiver. Okay, cool. So everybody should get four of those. <laughs> oh, you know, one other random question. What's, uh, I've actually never played a four-player Nintendo game before in my life. Do you have one off the top of your head, one or two you recommend for people that want to try that feature out? Uh, Super Dodgeball is always good. 
Huh. I'm gonna play that. By launch title Quadra Lords, which is like uh, Warlords for the Atari, except it's four player. Very cool. Alright, I'll make sure to make a note of that, and uh, at the very least, I'll get my cousin Scott over here, and a couple other people will do super dodgeball just to just yeah. to see. But um, yeah, well, thanks a lot for coming on. I'm really glad, um, you know, really glad I get to to talk to you about this stuff, and hopefully, I can help promote it for you because we need more products like this in the retro gaming scene. So yes, we do. <laughs> um, if uh, anything else to add, or you all good? Uh, no, I think I'm good. All right. Well, thanks again, man. Well, they're still asleep. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, I guess uh, I'll talk to you soon, and I'll see everybody next week. Okay. Thank you very much.